Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. We've all asked that question, why? Why, God, is this happening? We ask it all the time. We ask it about big things. Why, God, did I have to lose that person that I love? Why, God, have I been unemployed for so long? Why, God, has this pandemic gone on for so long? We ask it about small things too. God, why did I spill coffee on my brand new shirt? And maybe the most difficult thing in trusting and following God is trying to reconcile this question of why. If God is all-powerful and God is all-good, then why is there suffering? And you know, we have a lot of answers. We got a lot of simple, canned, cute little churchy answers, but honestly, it's all pretty crummy. So today we're going to talk about, we're going to look at this story of incredible suffering, and we're going to talk about and understand why might God allow suffering? And, and more than that, we're going to talk about what might God be doing in the midst of our suffering? See, I don't know what's going on in your life, but the chances are pretty high that at least some of us are facing something pretty tough right now. So I want us to lean into that and try and get a glimpse of why would God allow that and what might God be doing through our suffering? So if you got a Bible with you, we're in Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7. We're going to take on about seven or eight chapters today, but we're going to start there in Exodus chapter 7, and we're going through the Bible together this year in 2022, and we're also reading through the Bible together. So we put out this Bible reading plan, and we've described it sort of like, this is like the the blue-collar Bible reading plan. It's like anyone can handle this. It's a manageable pace. And so if you haven't gotten one of these, I'd encourage you to pick one up. You can get one at guest services or you can get an electronic copy online. Maybe you got one of these at the beginning of the year and you started it and you got a couple days into it, but you kind of fallen back. It's okay. Get caught up. There's plenty of time to jump into this thing. Maybe you got it and you thought, yep, this is the year 2022. I'm going to take reading the Bible seriously this year, and you never really got started. It's okay. It's early in the year. There is plenty of time to jump into this thing. Let's do it together. Let's go. We're reading the Bible in 2022. So last week, Pastor Joe talked about this guy named Joseph. Joseph is an Israelite, and God relocated Joseph to Egypt. There was a famine in this whole area of the world, and he takes Joseph to Egypt, and Joseph rises to this prominent position in Egypt. He's basically put in charge of the whole country, and it's through Joseph's leadership and through how he manages this supply of food, he really saves the world. People don't starve because of this guy, Joseph. So we're going to jump ahead in the story, and we're going to look at this story of suffering. But I want to give you a little history. I want to bridge the gap between Joseph and where we're headed today. How did we sort of get here? Let me give you a little history. Let me just read it for you. Exodus 1, and this will get us caught up in our story. Here's what it says. It says, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and they became so numerous that the land was filled with them. 
Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. And he said, look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And then if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies. They'll fight against us, and they'll leave our country. So they put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced Labor. So you have this group of people, the Israelites, God, God's chosen people. They've come to Egypt, and life's pretty good. They have this guy named Joseph, who's one of them, who rises in power. He's basically in charge of everything. And the king, the pharaoh, so likes Joseph that he tells him, hey, your people can have this whole area of land. You can carve out this whole area where the Israelites can live. They can own this part of Egypt. And the Israelites are shepherds, so they need lots of land for all their animals. And so he gives them this section of land, and life is pretty good. And then we read that there's a new king, there's a new pharaoh, and this guy doesn't give a hoot who this Joseph guy was. He just knows that he's afraid of the Israelites. There's too many of them. And if they decide to rise up and revolt, like they could take us out. And so what does he do? He says, we're going to make them work for us. We're going to make them our slaves. And so he puts masters over the Israelites and they oppress them and they make them work for the Egyptians. So here you have God's people. And one day life was good. And then they're suffering. They're slaves in a foreign country. And this suffering isn't going to end quickly. They're going to be in Egypt for 430 years. And if you read the story over the next number of chapters, you'll see the Israelites cry out to God. And you will hear over and over again this question, why? God, why would you allow this to happen? And my hope is that today, as we look at their suffering, we'll see something of our story in their stories. We start to understand why God might allow suffering in their life. We might understand something of our own journey, and we might hopefully see what God could be doing in the midst of our suffering. So it's a long story. Let's work through it. It starts with a guy named Moses. The first thing God has to do is raise up a leader. So he chooses this guy named Moses. There's nothing particularly special about Moses. He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite, but he's raised in Pharaoh's palace. And so he learns the customs and the ways of the Egyptians. But as he gets older, he's eventually run out of the palace. And so he finds himself fleeing. He's all alone. He's on the run. His people, the Israelites, won't embrace him. The Egyptians have chased him out. And so he's by himself. And it's while he's running that God meets him. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I have an assignment for you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to go and you're going to stand in front of Pharaoh and you're going to tell him that by decree and by the words of the Lord, he is to let the Israelites go out of Egypt. Here are the instructions that God gives to Moses. Exodus 7 verse 1. So the Lord says to Moses, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Don't be afraid of that phrase. God is just saying, I'm making you my mouthpiece. You're going to go and speak my words on behalf of me to Pharaoh. Aaron is going to be your prophet. You're to say everything that I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Go to Egypt, Moses. Go and stand in the palace, stand face to face. I'm going to give you the words to say, and you're going to tell this guy, this nasty king, that he has to let my people 
go. And that it's the Lord speaking and it's the Lord warning him, you will let the Israelites go. He also tells him that no matter what you say, it's not going to work. This guy, Pharaoh, has a really hard heart. He's really stubborn and he's going to reject you. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, it's not going to work. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. Verse four, he says, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against them and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I want you to pay attention to something really fast. Right here in verse 5, God might be, might be telling us something about understanding suffering. He says that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So I have this hypothesis. Just we'll, we'll check it out as we go. But I have this sort of theory as we try and understand what God is saying. That there's something about suffering that it happens so that people would know him. Again, we'll track this. We'll, we'll see if it checks out. But I think God is saying there's something about suffering that one reason he might allow suffering, at least in this case, is because it actually points people to him. And he would be recognized and he would be known. So he promises, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring pain on Egypt. I'm going to bring punishment for sin. I'm going to bring judgment on Egypt. And he talks about how he's going to do it through these things. He, he says there's going to be signs and, and wonders and miracles. And he says mighty acts. And so he's going to make good on this. And he's going to bring 10 plagues. Maybe you've heard 10 plagues before. He's going to bring 10 plagues on Egypt in judgment because of what they've done. And, and, and the plagues, let me tell you about them, they go something like this. The first plague is this plague of blood. So God is going to turn all the water in Egypt into blood. So here's how it plays out. Uh, the Pharaoh goes down to the Nile River. He is going to go down to take a bath. And Moses comes down. And when Pharaoh goes in the water, Moses stretches out his staff over the water. And God turns the river into blood. Gross, right? So imagine this. You go to the faucet and you're going to wash your hands. You turn it on, right? You get in the shower. What comes out of the tap is blood. Like this is gross, right? And you would think, okay, this is going to wake up Pharaoh. And you'll see this pattern play out through the plagues. What God does is he warns Pharaoh, I'm going to bring judgment on you if you don't let my people go. Here's your chance. Let him go. And Pharaoh hardens his heart and then God delivers. And, and Pharaoh will fake repent, but he never really means it because his heart is hard and he's stubborn. So God turns all the water. He's bathing in blood. There's nothing to drink in hopes that it will get Pharaoh's attention but it doesn't work. So seven days later, God sends a plague of frogs, just ribbit, ribbit, just jumping around everywhere, right? The Bible says that there are frogs in people's beds. There are frogs in people's food. You can't go to work because there's just frogs everywhere. And again, Pharaoh's heart is really hard. You would think this is going to wake him up. In one week's time, all the water turns to blood. Now there's frogs hopping around. People are suffering. I mean, the Israelites have been suffering for a while, but now it's his people. Now the Egyptians are suffering. And you would think, okay, now he's going to get it. God is trying to say something to me. He warned me. He told me this was going to happen. Okay, God, I'm listening. But he doesn't. 
So God sends another plague. Now he sends gnats, just little gnats everywhere, like in your face and like in your hair. and They're on you, like in your mouth, right? The Bible says that the dust turns to gnats just everywhere. Pharaoh's officials start telling him, you know, I think something's going on here. I think maybe we should listen and maybe God is against us and we should just let these people go. Like it's, it's not worth it. And Pharaoh goes, nope. And he hardens his heart. Remember what God said before any of this started, before plague number one, remember what God said, that he's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring punishment. Why? that the world would know that I am God. He's trying to show himself to people. He's trying to reveal himself to Pharaoh. Will he listen? No, obviously not. So now he sends flies, just flies everywhere. Flies ruin the land. But for the first time in this series of plagues, God is going to make a distinction here. The Israelites don't experience the pain of having flies everywhere. This is only for the Egyptians. Where the Israelites live, the Bible says, there's no flies. So there's some picture that God is painting here, that he doesn't just take his people out of the suffering, but in the middle of it, they experience peace. It's happening all around them, but in some fashion, in the midst of chaos, they have peace and joy. Pharaoh still doesn't listen, so God sends a plague on livestock, every horse, camel, donkey, every sheep, cow, goat, dead. But only the Egyptians' animals. Again, the Israelites are spared from this plague. None of their animals die. Pharaoh still doesn't listen, so now God sends boils. People are just covered head to toe in boils. Is your skin starting to crawl a little bit? So you start itching a little, right? This is bad. Like Pharaoh can see this with his own eyes now. People are suffering. People are miserable. When is your heart going to be soft, Pharaoh, that you would see that the Lord is trying to get your attention? He told you this, but he's unwilling to let the Israelites leave. Something that's a little tricky about this, probably just worth noting, as you read through this, you kind of feel like these things just keep happening, right? It almost feels like they're happening week after week after week, maybe even day after day after day. It's kind of hard because we don't know the time frame of this. It's likely that months and years are between the plagues. And so what does Pharaoh do? He justifies in his mind. These things are all coincidence. They're just these, rent look, We've fallen on hard times in Egypt, right? It's just a sort of a coincidence. It's these random things that keep happening. And he refuses to go, maybe what God has warned me about, maybe this is true and I should listen to him. So now God sends hail. The Bible says it's hail so big that as it lands on people and animals, it kills them. He still doesn't listen. So he sends locusts. You know what locusts are? They're like three inch long like prehistoric grasshoppers. They're just hopping around everywhere. It's creepy. They destroy all of the food, whatever was left that the hail didn't ruin and, 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 and the flies didn't ruin. The livestock has been wiped out. They take care of the rest of it. And God reminds us something in the, in the middle of this. He actually kind of pulls off the road and he says, listen, let me remind you of something. In Exodus 10, verse two, he says, do you remember why this whole thing started? And he tells the Israelites, I want you to tell your kids and your grandkids about this someday for the same reason that I'm doing all of this, so that the world would know that I am God. I'm trying to show you something. I want you to turn to me. I'm trying to reveal something 
to you and Pharaoh's officials are begging him, please let these people go. It's not worth it anymore. He doesn't. So God sends the ninth plague. It's the plague of darkness. And he describes it this way. The Bible says that it's a darkness that can be felt. You ever been somewhere it's so dark you can feel it? It's like soul deep. Darkness does something to us. There is darkness over the land for three days. And, and, and you go, okay, darkness, whatever. But think about all that darkness means. Imagine under the cover of darkness, the crime that is happening. Imagine the violence that is occurring. Imagine the chaos that is going on. It's pitch black. The ninth plague. It is there is suffering happening. Finally, we get to the 10th plague, and God says this. He says, I'm going to go through Egypt, and the firstborn of every family, from Pharaoh's house to the slave's house, and the firstborn of every flock, every animal, is going to die. I'm taking out the firstborn. Imagine the suffering. Imagine the terror that this will cause. Imagine the agony, the screaming that you hear of parents waking up in the morning, and their child is dead. And it's not just in one house, it's in the neighbors and in their neighbor and 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 every house across Egypt. And the firstborn of every flock is dead. It's suffering. But before God delivers this, this final, this 10th plague, he tells the Israelites that if they will do what he says, he says, you'll be okay. If you'll follow my instructions, you'll be okay. And so what he tells them to do, he tells them to slaughter a lamb. He says, kill a lamb, and I want you to take its blood, and I want you to wipe it, to paint it on the doorframe of your house. Listen to what he says, Exodus 12, verse 12, God speaking. He says, on the same night, I will pass through Egypt... And I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And he says this, he says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. He's about to send the final plague. He's about to wipe out all the firstborn, but he wants to protect his people. So he says, listen, here's, here's what you need to do. Here's your instructions. Go into your homes. I want you to slaughter a lamb, and I want you to paint the doorframe of your house with its blood. And when I come through Egypt to take out the firstborn, I will see the blood, and I will pass over your house. Now, if we can, just for a minute, we can sort of step back and understand what's happening. There's something at a higher level happening here. See, the Bible says, go with me for a minute. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? God is holy and perfect. And so God must punish. He must bring justice on sin and evil. And the Bible says the only thing that will pay for our sin is a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is life. It's blood. And so God tells them, slaughter a lamb, paint your house with the blood. And for now, for a time, that will suffice to cover your sins. I'm going to punish the sin of Egypt, but the blood will suffice. I will pass over your house. I won't judge your sin today because of the lamb, the blood of this lamb. This is the Passover lamb. This lamb that they will slaughter will cause God to pass over their houses. 
Of course, we know thousands of years later that what's going on here is God is pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Jesus is the once and for all Passover lamb. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins once and for all. This Passover and Exodus is pointing us 1,500 years into the future when Jesus will live and die to pay for our sins. It's, It's opening up to us. It's showing us our need for the forgiveness of our sins, but also how God provides for that need, that we couldn't provide a sacrifice for our sins, but God can. So what happens? God comes through Egypt and he does what he says he's going to do. God comes through and he takes out the firstborn in every household, every animal, from Pharaoh's house to the slave. He takes out Pharaoh's firstborn. So as you can imagine, Pharaoh is distraught. He is furious. And so he calls Moses and Aaron to the palace one last time. And he tells them, round up your people and get out of my sight. If I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. And he tells the Israelites that they're going to leave Egypt. Listen to what happens next. Exodus 13, verse 17. Pharaoh says, let the people go. But God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if my people face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert toward the, toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt for battle. Pharaoh is finally convinced I should listen to God. He's outraged. He's sad because he's dealing with the loss of his child. And so he lets the Israelites leave Egypt. Verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. They're out of Egypt. 430 years. They've been wanting to go back. They've been wanting to go to the promised land, what God had promised them. And they've been stuck in Egypt. And now God is leading them. They think our suffering is over. It's not. Jump ahead. Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the Israelites fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. And they said, oh, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. So he made his chariot ready and he took his army with him. Verse 9, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his troops, they pursued the Israelites and they overtook them as they camped. By the sea, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Do you have the picture? The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. They finally get out. They head out into the desert. They're camping out for the night. They're up against the Red Sea. On one side is desert. On one side is the sea. There's probably a couple of million of them. They're a pretty big people. They're an entire nation at this time. And they're camped out for the night. They look up on the ridge and there's Pharaoh with all of his chariots and all of his army 
suffering. They thought suffering was over, but it's back. Suffering has now reached its peak, and they're going to die. Verse 15, the Lord speaks, and he says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they'll go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. These Egyptians... Listen to it again. These Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. There's that phrase again. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It's scary. It's this crazy scene. It's going to get even messier. It's nuts for the Israelites. And God tells them the same thing. They will know that I am the Lord. You probably know the rest of the story. You can read it for yourself. The Israelites go into the sea. God has parted the sea. He stood up the water. So there's walls on the sides and they go through on dry ground and the Egyptians chase them. Pharaoh and his armies go in after them and God causes the water to fall back on itself and all of the Egyptian army is swept away. And the Bible says that the Israelites see them all laying dead on the far shore. Listen to how it ends. Verse 31 says, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord display against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Can I say to you, I don't know what your suffering looks like. And I don't know when it's going to end. But throughout this story and throughout other stories in the Bible, here's what I'm learning is that suffering, suffering shows me the love and the goodness and the power of God. Over and over, you hear them go, why, God? Why are we slaves in Egypt? Why are all these plagues happening? Why are we being oppressed by this nasty, evil king? Why are your people, God, why are your people under torment? And over and over and over and over and over again, God says, so that people would know that I am God, I think. If we would let this sink in, this would totally change the way that we view suffering. What if suffering, what if the difficulties that you face is to reveal the goodness and the love and the power of God? And listen to me for a minute. Please listen. If your suffering means that someone is abusing you, someone's hurting you or mistreating you, this is not to say like, oh, cool, God's going to show me something and I should just stick with that. No, like if that's you and someone is hurting you, please talk to me, talk to someone on our team. Let us help you. If there's a godly way out of suffering, we should take it. But track with me for just a minute. What if our suffering is so that God could reveal his love to us? What if our suffering is so that God could show his power and his goodness to us and through us? So what if, what if the reason that you experienced that tragedy was so that God could reveal to you that he actually is near 
the brokenhearted. Because you wouldn't know that unless you had experienced a broken heart. What if the reason that you experienced something is actually so that the people around you could see, oh my goodness, the God that you worship, he actually does give peace beyond understanding. What if that's the reason for our suffering? What if the reason for our suffering isn't to hit us over the head? What if the reason for our suffering is a warm embrace from a father who says, come here, let me hug you, let me hold you, let me show you who I am? What if the reason that my wife and I couldn't have children on our own is because God needed to show us something that we wouldn't have seen if our perfect little plan would have worked out? What if, what if through your divorce, God showed you his redemptive power in your life in a way that you couldn't see if everything was perfect? I mean, just ask the question. I'm not, I'm not saying that God ordains broken relationships. I'm just saying, what if he uses our suffering? like he did with the Israelites, like he did with the Egyptians? What if he uses our suffering to show us something of who he is, his love and his power, his goodness, his care to us and to the people around us? Play it out. What if the reason that you grew up without a father is so that you would look for the love of your perfect heavenly father? Is it possible that the why of our suffering is the same reason the Israelites suffered, so that God might be revealed. I just think there's something here. There's something about suffering and, and that God shows himself more of us in a way that we don't see when everything is perfect. And so maybe we actually need to lean into suffering instead of shrinking away, instead of shaking our fists at, at the heavens and going, why? How many times have you heard a person how many times have you heard someone say, you know, I grew closest to God when my life was perfect? Never, right? It's when life goes sideways that for so many of us, it's in that moment that we grow close to God. We see our need for him. You know, for some of us, just in the time and, and, and place that we live, suffering is so foreign to us that when we face something difficult, we're shocked by it. We don't know what to do with it. Because let's be honest, for a lot of us, life is, life's pretty good most of the time, right? We have some money in the bank, not as much as we'd like, but we have some. And we have food in our pantry. And we have some level of health. And if we don't, we have access to health care. Life's pretty good. And then suffering comes along, and it's so foreign to us. And we just go, why? What if it's because that's what we need to see more of the character, more of the love of God? What if we leaned into the idea that nothing is an accident, including suffering, and maybe God could use that to show us something? If that's true, here's what I think it means, is that suffering will actually increase our trust and reliance on God. See, I look at the end of the passage where the Israelites says they put their trust in him. Would they have put their trust in God the same way if they hadn't experienced suffering as slaves? If they hadn't have seen and experienced the plagues? If they hadn't have been pushed up against 
the Red Sea, where there was no hope and there was nowhere to run, would they have seen the power of God in the same way? Would they have put their trust in him in the same way? I'm not sure. I think suffering increases our trust because it's in suffering that we finally realize we have nothing else to hold on to. I know for me, it's when my life is most broken down that I finally realize I have nothing and no one who would give me the peace of my God, the joy that God brings to me. I'm forced to run for him. I think it's in our darkest moments that so many of us see our need for him. It's in suffering that we actually see his power and his love and our trust in him grows through the roof. So where do we end? Like, where do you where do we land this thing? If we just go back to the question of why, why suffering? I'm not sure that there's a universal answer. I don't think there's a one size fits all, like here's what it is. I think there's lots of reasons for suffering. Honestly, sometimes it's our own doing, right? But have you considered that the reason you're facing something difficult is because God wants to show you something? It's because he wants to demonstrate his love to you. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he wants to pick on you. It's because he wants to show you something of his, his goodness and his power to reveal more of himself to you, to increase your trust in him. It's probably a thought worth exploring. And as we talk about suffering, you know the truth is I have no promise for you. Like I have no gospel of health and wealth and, and prosperity and success for you. I, I can't tell you that everything's going to be okay. I, Moses had a prophetic gift for his people for the day. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have that. I can't tell you that your suffering is going to end. In fact, your suffering might get worse this side of eternity until you see Jesus face to face and he redeems everything and he makes everything new. But here's what I know. I'm just going to end with the words that Moses spoke to his friends and his family on the shore of the Red Sea that day in the middle of their suffering. I, you see these words repeated throughout the Bible over and over again in some fashion. And I just think someone is suffering and needs to hear this. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. In your suffering, be still. Be still. When you're facing something difficult, be still and listen for the voice of the Lord. Be still to, to listen for his leading. You don't have to run around and solve everything. Listen for God and let him lead you through suffering and ask him to reveal something of himself to you. Ask him to show you something new. In your suffering, pray to him and ask him to fight for you and ask him to increase your trust in him today. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your word. It shows us who you are. It shows us that you're for us, you're with us, that you fight for us, that you're good. God, we deal with suffering in all kinds of ways, and there's just no way to sugarcoat it that there are, at various levels, those of us facing difficulty right now, 
Difficulty that came out of nowhere. Difficulty that we've been carrying for a long time. God, some of us are facing suffering that this side of heaven probably isn't going to end. And there is a tendency to look to the heavens, to yell, why, God? To shake our fists at you. Thanks that you can handle that. That you don't condemn us when we do that. But God, would you show us that maybe there's something more? Maybe there's something you're trying to tell us. Maybe there's some way that in the midst of our suffering, you, can, you would bring us to a place to show us more of your love and your goodness. God, we know it's in those darkest moments, the dark moments of the soul, that darkness that can be felt, that we run to you. It takes us realizing we have nowhere else to go so often before we'll run to you. So God, help us today run to you. God, you don't bring us through tough things to shame us or judge us or punish us or be mean to us. You allow us to walk through things so that you could show us more of who you are and you would increase our trust in you. So today, God, whatever we're facing, would you increase our trust in you? Would you help us to not be stubborn and hard-hearted like Pharaoh, but to look for your goodness and your love in whatever we face? God, we need your help. Thanks that you fight for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.